I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. Our text this morning is from the end of this chapter. I'll read verses 67 through verse 79. I invite you to follow along as I, as I read. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that he should be saved, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The Lord will add His blessing to the reading of His holy and precious Word. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father, we come before You and as, a, as a body of believers, specifically as a church family, and uh, with a number of, of guests here today, family members, friends from the community and others. We come this morning with our, with our hearts high but our heads bowed as we continue to contemplate the, the culmination of this season that quite honestly we've been celebrating for, for over a month. The coming of God to dwell with man. Father, our hearts are, are full, not just for the, the romantic and nostalgic thought process of a, of a baby being born to a virgin, but our hearts are full when we consider the, the culmination of your great plan to provide a way for sinful man to be redeemed to a holy God that would require the punishment of God on God. And so as we gather as as a church, we gather as your people, as we gather as as witnesses, we gather as those who who testify, and we, 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 we give acclaim to this work that's been done in our own hearts by the Spirit because of your gift 
of this Savior. Our hearts are full. They're overwhelmed. It's just overwhelming to think of God with us. And so we pray for your blessing on our time today. We, we need your help. We need your help as we enter into a familiar season and a familiar story to see and to appreciate this glorious sunrise anew. We pray for your blessing on our gathering. We pray for your blessing on the reading of your word. And we certainly pray for your blessing on the preaching of your word that it would find good ground in the hearts of the hearers. Open our minds, but more importantly, open our hearts. We're thankful for other like-minded churches in the area who are faithfully preaching the good news of salvation today. Bless those faithful pastors and ministers. Bless those faithful attenders as they rally around and appreciate and give praise and thanks for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We ask for your blessing even on our service today and the rest of our time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that's become apparent as I've uh, grown older uh, is the, the changing physical norms of life. Add to it uh, a health journey of the past two years of a cancer diagnosis and uh, a year of cancer treatments. And there's nothing normal uh, for me physically anymore. One of the things that has uh, been the most disappointing and noticeable is my inability to sleep at night. Uh, the uh, result of, again, uh, a number of treatments and surgeries and things and uh, the lingering impacts of the, the cancer medication as such has left me most nights uh, without the ability to sleep more than an hour or so at a time at the most. Early on in that journey, there were many nights I would just lay there wondering if the night would ever end. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there physically and you've been there spiritually as well. Uh, I did all the norms. I listened to Scripture. I prayed. I listened to my own sermons and I still couldn't fall asleep. <laughs> Counted sheep. Listened to music. All those things. And there were just long, long uh, painful and in anguish, just wondering, would the night ever end? And okay, and, and at some point, inevitably, out of the blinds of our bedroom window that would face the south, you'd begin to see this glow, not from the street light, but you'd see the glow of the imminent sunrise. It was so weird because as tired as I was, it still gave me hope. I made it through the night. In a lot of ways, the, the events culminating in this text today, the, the birth of John the Baptist, making the way for Jesus Christ, was like the, the sun beginning to rise on Israel after the, the longest and darkest of nights. The Jewish people had been sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death like a, like a people lost in a dark and desolate desert fearing for their lives. Now the faithful followers knew 
that the sunrise would eventually come because the words of the prophet Malachi had promised in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And they clung to those words. Well, let's be real. That had been 400 years ago. Would the night never end? There had been recent glimmers that something was changing, though. Earlier in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, earlier in chapter 1, it records Gabriel's announcement about John being born to Zechariah and his announcement to, about Jesus being born to Mary and all of the events that followed. It seemed to be there, there was a little bit of a stirring. It was like that, that long night and you start to see this, this golden hue on the horizon that's indicating that something Big was coming. Something great was about to to rise in the eastern sky. And sure enough, the sun was coming. Things were changing. This sunrise, the, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to bring hope and bring restoration. And that's what this passage is all about today. It's about a promise. The promise that was made in the past and a promise that was to be kept in the future, and the promise that was taking place right now. In fact, Zechariah sees John's birth as, as, as part of, of, of God restoring his people. And that's actually what motivates him to sing this beautiful song that is our text today. It's a song that has been remembered throughout the, the history of the church as the, the Benedictus. Because of that opening expression there in verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now while he is surely a a, a grateful new father, he realizes the purpose of this song is a benediction and a praise for how God has worked to bring the sunrise. The song is not about the birth of his own son. The song is about the birth of Jesus Christ the Messiah. For context for this song, we, you need to remember the events that had preceded this. I alluded to it just a second ago from earlier in the chapter. It makes this scene even more meaningful. Nine months earlier, when the angel Gabriel told Zechariah uh, that he was going to have a son, that he was going to be a father, rather than responding with joy and belief and thankfulness, he responds with cynicism and doubt. And as a consequence for his unbelief, Zechariah is stricken and he's, he's made unable to speak. For nine months, he can't speak. And now as Zechariah and Elizabeth, are, the, the, John has been born and they're preparing to circumcise him and, and name their newborn son, Elizabeth tells her relatives that his name will be John, just as the angel has instructed. And this created quite a controversy because no one in the family was named John. You didn't name your children based on what sounded good or what was unique or what was the most popular name at the time. You named your your child after a family member as a way to preserve your your heritage and preserve your family in history. So the extended family, they began to make signs to Zechariah asking about about what he thought the name would be. Now again, this is somewhat humorous in that they thought maybe Zechariah couldn't hear. He, He only couldn't speak. So it actually makes me wonder what he actually heard for nine months when they thought he couldn't hear them. 
But they begin to make signs. What do you want the name to be? And he takes some sort of a writing tablet and he makes it very clear. He writes out very, very clear. His name is John. Zechariah comes to an agreement in his own heart with God about the purpose and the name of his son just as the Lord commanded. And in nine months, he is transformed from a doubting cynic of unbelief to a heart that's full of faith and belief in the words and the promises of his God and his heart overflows with thankfulness and as a Zechariah comes to this place his tongue is released and you see and you hear and you read restoration he knows who God is and he believes in the promises of God for himself you see restoration. Zechariah comes to this place and, and now he, he sings this song. Someone who, who is, who's been punished. You would think that someone who has been punished and was silent for so long and is set there, he might be filled with bitterness, but this song reveals anything but. You hear words of blessing and praise in this literal final prophecy before the birth of Christ. The final prophecy before the sunrise. Luke introduces the song by saying, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Zechariah stood as the mouthpiece for God at this moment. His own words were God's words. Just like Mary's song from earlier in this chapter, the Magnificat from from, uh, early in the chapter, his song is also filled with Scripture. In fact, it shouldn't surprise us. His entire priestly life had been devoted to getting nourishment from the Scripture. And he sings almost exclusively in Old Testament promises. Some scholars count uh, as many as 33 possible allusions and quotations to Old Testament Scripture in this brief text that I just read this morning. He's consumed with the promises of his God. And now he's seeing the promises fulfilled. Why? Because in the Old Testament, so many promises were made. And he's very aware that our God is a promise-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping God. And this unfolds a brief scenario in song of what we have here as promises made, promises kept. First promise that's alluded to is a promise to David in verses 68 to 71. Alludes to the covenant that God made with David. The promise to David in the form of a covenant was recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Verse 11, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Covenant of God. The great promise to David of a future king and in an enduring kingdom from the line of David has sustained the hopes of the faithful in Israel for centuries. And here Zechariah is saying, that was a promise made, and now we have that promise kept in this imminent sunrise. 
He's prophesying that that day is here. The day is here when the house of David will be restored. In other words, not only is salvation coming, but a king is coming. His name is Jesus. Zechariah, in his, almost his year-long silence, had, had a lot of time for contemplation. Had a lot of time to think through the promises of God. And he likely saw things differently now. And he concluded that just as God had had visited he and his wife, he seems more aware than ever that God is ready to visit all of his people in the person of the Messiah. The Messiah will visit his people. Just as God promised David. The word visited here has the idea of to, to look upon after examining. It's a familiar Old Testament concept and it signifies God's bursting onto the scene of human existence to save and to bless His people. In other words, the Messiah isn't just merely coming to drop off a note or a plate of cookies. Okay? No, the Messiah is coming because He is the gift. In the Old Testament, God would visit His people primarily for judgment. But in the New Testament, He visits to bring mercy. And here He's visiting to bring mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. God has broken His silence and He is visiting us. It's with that understanding that we realize also that the Messiah will redeem His people. He's come to visit with a purpose and His purpose is redemption. It's interesting, the text has it here in the past tense. He has redeemed. Now again, of course you can't understand, we, we, we understand that the redemption of God is not fully realized until the, the death of Christ, much less He's not been born quite yet. And even more, the, the redemption of, of Christ is not, won't be realized until, wouldn't be realized until His resurrection and His return. But you understand that Zechariah is looking at all of this with eyes of faith. The full plan may not have yet been fulfilled, but the plan is begun, and since Zechariah knows that God finishes what he begins, he can speak of it in the past tense. God has accomplished redemption for his people because my God is a promise-keeping God. The horn of salvation alluded to in verse 69 is an image of strength and power. It speaks of an animal's horn, specifically that of a buffalo or an ox. And the lifting up of a horn in the Old Testament referred to to, to literally the animals tossing its horns in a display of power. Perhaps you've seen that before. And this is a reference of the, the dynasty of kings from the golden age of the kingdom of Israel. David was a great king who established the dynasty. But centuries ago, that dynasty came to an end. But God is sending a horn of salvation at this new sunrise. He's going to visit and redeem His people. His kingdom will be restored. Keep tracking through the song. You start picking up other things. In verse 70, As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from old, that, he should be saved from our, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This Messiah is coming and He's going to save His people from their enemies. You know the prophets of old refers to the Old Testament prophets and the, the message that they proclaimed. 
God chose Israel to be his people and he made this covenant with them. And if Israel was faithful to the covenant, they would be blessed. But if they weren't faithful, that they would experience judgment. So when the kingdom of Israel fell into idolatry and wickedness, God sent these prophets of old to remind his people of the terms of the covenant. And they would speak words of warning and words of woe. Sadly, Israel was faithless to the covenant and they therefore they endured judgment their kingdom was destroyed by their enemies and they went into exile and even after they returned to their homeland they had to endure centuries of silence from god however as the prophets of old foretold judgment they also foretold that god would bring about a restoration greater than they could ever imagine Isaiah proclaimed this in Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 1-2. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. To receive double for all her sins didn't mean that they were going to be punished beyond what they deserved, but that the punishment had been paid, it had been sufficient, it was full. And restoration will come. It's going to come with the sunrise of Jesus Christ. Zechariah here sings in the prophetic past tense. And what he is singing about is as good as done. The Lord God of Israel has visited his people. He has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And this Messiah will save his people from their enemies. It's a promise kept in the person that represents the light born at this imminent sunrise. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Zechariah's song of praise for God, fulfilling his promises to David throughout Christ. Next moved, as you see here in verse 72, to a covenant with Abraham. And because his covenant with David rested on the original promise to Abraham, he felt compelled to sing about that. This promise to Abraham, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I can't stress enough how important God's promise to Abraham is in the storyline of the Bible. But for today's purpose, this covenant that God made with Abraham reminds us that God has a plan for redemption and he is so faithful to keep his promises that he will do it even if he has to pay the cost. Think about that. You have a promise-keeping God who is so merciful that in order for his promise to become true, he himself is willing to pay the cost. The Abrahamic covenant was first expressed in Genesis chapter 12 when God promised Abraham when he was yet childless that he would make a great nation out of him and all the people of the earth would be blessed through him. And later when when God restated the promise, it tells us in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. In fact, God went so far as to express to Abraham that his promise was unconditional. And and after Abraham was was willing to go to the brink of sacrificing his son Isaac on an altar in obedience to God, 
God at that moment swore to Abraham that he would always keep his covenant after Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, verse 16. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you, Abraham, have obeyed my voice. That's what Zechariah is referring to here. He's referencing this in his song. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. We see in this section of the song what what God has promised and what God is doing. He is showing, He's remembering, and He is granting. The Messiah, He says, the Messiah will show mercy. God will show mercy. And what Zechariah is referring to here are those promises that God made through the mouth of His prophets. God had promised to raise up this horn of salvation who would save us from our enemies. And Zechariah recognized that was a merciful promise. Friend, God shows mercy to His enemies, even those who reject Him, and even those who forget Him. He is a merciful God. His mercy mercy is clear in the second verb as well. The Messiah will remember His promises. It was the promise that Abraham's descendants would always be God's chosen people. It was the promise that He would never leave them, and He would never forsake them. He would always be present to rescue and deliver them. And Zechariah recognizes this. God is now honoring that promise through the sunrise. God was remaining faithful to His Word through the coming of Jesus. In His mercy, He was choosing to honor a promise that He had made to Abraham. And the consequence of that promise was seen next. The Messiah will deliver them from their enemies. Verse 74 that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. This is specifically what Zechariah is seeing being fulfilled. For all those who had the desire to serve God in holiness, they should rejoice, for God is granting that promise. I think this is one of the reasons that Luke included this in, in this passage where the other gospel writers don't. As you know from our our, our lengthy journey through Luke, Luke was about revealing those who are poor in spirit, right? People, uh, uh, he would reveal those types of people that God accepts and the type of people that God desires to use. And many times it was lesser people. And Zechariah stands here at this moment of history where the tide is about to change. The Jewish people have been gathered again. The land has been restored to them as a place for them to live. But the people in the land are still under the dominion of tyrants like the Caesar of Rome. And one last piece of God's plan needed to take place. They needed a true king. And now God is sending this king, the heir of David, the seed of Abraham, the fulfillment of the prophetic hope. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the sunrise, was about to arrive. Promises made. Promises kept. Zechariah didn't go back just 
only, he didn't only go back hundreds of years for promises. He actually went back nine months. As you see in verse 76 and 77, promised to Zechariah. Zechariah looks at his newborn son. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins. Nine months earlier, nine months earlier, the thought of having a son was so, so impossible to believe. He couldn't take God at His word. And now, he is so convinced that the, the truthfulness and the, 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 the veracity of the word of his holy God that he is willing to pronounce, you are going to be a prophet for the Lord Most High. He sees in his infant son, uh, he sees his infant son as the harbinger of the one who will bring forth the restoration of all things. John will be a prophet. He will be a prophet who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And again, I can't emphasize enough, even though John's birth is the occasion of this song for Zechariah, John is not the point of the song. John's life is meant to point to the greater song, the glory of God in the coming sunrise. I can't even overstate Zechariah's emotion here as, a, as someone who was, a, who was a father for the first time years ago. As he kind of, again, holds this baby. There had been no prophet now amongst the Jews for four centuries. And Zechariah had just recovered his voice. And he's using it to praise and prophesy. His baby boy was the focus of a divine revelation. He remembered back nine months earlier to this angel telling him that his son would be born. That his son would be great before the Lord. And his son would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And now he's holding him. He's holding a prophet. And while he received the supernatural knowledge of John's task as a forerunner of Jesus, Zechariah's words then turn to focus on the depth of his ministry. John will deliver the news of salvation. He would give knowledge of salvation to his people. This is going to be more than just spouting factual information. It was going to be communicating an intimate personal knowledge about the inward experience of salvation as the result of the divine gift of Jesus. John had two primary jobs. To prepare the way for the Lord and to proclaim salvation through the forgiveness of sins. John would actually later say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That was his ministry. He was a prophet. He was a messenger. This all culminates in the promise of the sunrise in verse 78, 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, Zechariah says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. My friend, don't overlook the motivation for the sun coming. It's the mercy of our great God. It's the mercy of God. 
It's not because of great works of righteousness that we have done. It's according to His grace. It's according to His mercy that He chose to visit us. It's because of the tender mercy of our God that the Son, the light Himself, has come. The forgiveness to be offered by John in his work of prophesying is based on the mercy of God. It's out of God's compassion that the sunrise, the the day spring has come to us. Therefore, the sun shall visit us. This is the same word visit that was used earlier at the beginning of the song in reference to the Lord God of Israel has visited us. Now Zechariah speaks of the future instead of the past as he awaits this imminent birth of Jesus. This son, the, the image of the Messiah, will be like the star rising out of Jacob. Like a sun rising from the horizon, but it will also be like a, a shoot rising from the branch of Jesse. Why? Promises made, promises kept. The purpose of His coming is to, to bring light. The sun will bring light. He comes to bring revelation. He comes to bring guidance. The picture of God giving light reflects the picture again from Isaiah 9 that we heard read earlier where the people had seen a great light. The Messiah comes to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. That king spoken of in Isaiah 9 will hail from Galilee of the nations, he said. A surprising notion, right, in Isaiah's time, especially since the the king of Judah lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place of future kings. Jerusalem was that place. But here he came from Galilee. The true and better king will come from the Galilee of the nations. Why? Because although God's plan of redemption has come through Israel, his plan of redemption was never limited to Israel. It's for anyone who are in darkness. Anyone who's in the shadow of death. The sunrise has risen for you. That's God's mercy. And the purpose of this light is for the sun to make peace. Contrast that with Isaiah's desperation in Isaiah 59 in verse 8. At that moment in time to Isaiah, peace seemed unattainable. Peace seemed like a myth. He says this in, verse, in chapter 59 and verse 8, the way of peace they do not know and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. And now the sunrise is coming and He is not just going to make peace, He's going to be peace. Through the mercy of God, the sunrise has visited us, shining light into our darkened hearts. And through redemption has made a way for us not just to know peace, but to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, when when Jesus rises in our lives, gone is the shadow of death. When Christ comes to dwell in us by faith, because of His grace, He brings peace. peace. We pass from death to life. And it's more than just the absence of conflict, this peace. This is the wholeness and the completeness of being one with Christ. It's His gift to us. Jesus later stated it this way in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Those who experience the healing wholeness of God's peace are complete. Promises made, promises kept. In the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Friends, I have good news for us. God has visited us. We're celebrating it tomorrow. He's visited us. And in His visiting us, He has made a way of redemption for us. God has raised up a Savior for us from the line of David to all the descendants of Abraham just like He promised. This Savior will make us righteous. He'll make us holy. He actually makes us able to serve God without fear. He will be a light in the midst of darkness. And He will give us hope that guides us into all peace. Friend, this is the King of Isaiah 9. He is a good King. He is a true King. He is a King whose kingdom will have no end. It means that his, his, his reign is not limited to an ethnic people group of Israel. Rather, God's restorative rule is for all nations. Jesus is the king who shines light into the darkness. He is a king not only for Israel, but for God's people from all nations. He is a king who will not display his power through conquest, but rather he would go on to display his power through a cross. He's a king who has made a way to end the power of evil without ending us. Sin came into the world through our own rebellion against him, and as a result, there was discipline and judgment. Then there was silence, but the hope of restoration has come and is coming through the kingdom of Jesus Christ who shines light into the darkness. That's good news. If you're here today and you feel like you've experienced discipline or you feel like you've experienced silence in a season of darkness from God in your life, there is good news. The hope of the, the incarnation, the hope of God with us, the hope of Emmanuel, the hope of the sunrise, the hope of Christmas is that though we experience darkness, the light has come by the mercy of God. Though our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. God's favor, His sunrise has dawned upon us and the light will never be vanquished. In this coming baby, in Jesus, the new age of light has begun and it will never end. Promises made, promises kept. The light has come to dwell with us. Our Father, we have so much to be thankful for in our hearts as we continue to consider and contemplate this greatest gift. Certainly the, the God-man born in a manger, a borrowed, a borrowed cave, a borrowed stable. But the gift of salvation brought through this God-man changes everything. Father, the reality is that all men wander in darkness. Slaves to darkness. Unable to find their way out of the darkness. 
But the good news is the Son has come. The good news is a Savior was born. And our prayer is that anyone who is here this morning enslaved to their own sin, in bondage to their own way, who does not know this King, who literally can't see because of the blindness in their eyes. Our prayer this morning is that you would visit them. Your Spirit would be at work in them. Your Spirit would show them that there is a merciful God who sent His only begotten Son to live a sinless life and to die for their sins so that they would not have to endure the wrath of God. That He took the punishment of God. And that they would place their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Their eyes will be opened and the light of God of the sun will shine on their hearts. For those of us who know that, for those of us who live in the reality of that, may we be encouraged. May we, like Zechariah, have songs of praise on our own lips for the promises that have been made and the promises that have been kept for all to hear. Father, as much as this event was an amazing culmination of the promises from old there is still even a greater event to come when our eyes when our faith will become sight and you come to take us home may we continue to dwell both on your your coming and your future coming as those who are your children we look forward to you keeping that promise as well bless our the rest of our time in christ's name amen